The Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA. They're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate, please. We are trying to raise 250000 If you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen. It is a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. We're also brought to you by theringer.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. I popped on the Ringer NBA show this week with Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon to talk about the Michael Jordan doc and what the uh, salary cap might look like after everything shakes out with uh, with the pandemic. Hope everybody out there is staying safe and healthy. This is the 2003 redraftables. Brought back my old ESPN colleague, Chad Ford, who has an intimate connection to this draft and uh, I made one screw up. So we've been we've been doing, you know, all of our podcasts remotely. I have this little recorder. I've got a tape on my end. I got to mail the files. And it's really foolproof. You just have to remember to turn on the recorder, press record, and make sure the little green light is going up and down. You would think this would be easy for, for really anybody. For me, I've forgotten to press record, I would say, three or four times. And most of the times I've realized it in time and stopped. This time... I didn't realize it for the first 40 minutes of the pod. So you're hearing my uh, audio from the Zoom call and not from the actual podcast. So I apologize for that. This is the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. By the way, we're here with one of the singers of of the uh, of the theme song for the Book of Basketball, Ben Simmons, a.k.a. Melatonin. It's the Book of Basketball. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. All right. 2003 Redraftables. My name is Bill Simmons. This is the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. It's a home and home with Chad Ford. I did his podcast earlier this month, and we talked about some of our favorite draft swings and hits and swings and misses and favorite trends, things we've learned over the last 20 years. Who better to come in for the 2003 draft, the redraftables? And Chad Ford, he's in Hawaii. I'm in LA. And this is the draft. I mean, it's one of the three most famous drafts of our lifetime, right? I would say 84, 96, 03. Would those be the top three for you? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. What do you remember going back? What's your first memory? Well, obviously all the hype around LeBron. Uh, of course, there's never been a high school player that had this much buzz, this much excitement that just seemed too good to be true, frankly. I mean, everybody that was looking at LeBron was trying to figure out something wrong with him because everything checked out with this guy. Everything checked out. And then, you know, the second, the second thing, obviously for me personally, 
was making the decision to travel overseas and really get to know what was a huge group of international prospects led by Darko Milicic. And instead of just writing about these based off of internet reports or talking to scouts, I actually embedded with NBA scouts multiple trips over to Europe, seeing these guys play in person, getting to meet them, meet their families, meet their coaches and what have you. And so for me, it was it was a draft that was expanding the world of what it meant to scout the draft as well. Yeah, let's hit that point for a second because we talked about this a little bit on your pod, but the history of draft coverage, 80s, 90s, there's nothing. You know, and we've talked about this on the redraftables where you're the 98 draft is unfolding and my dad has like his sporting news. We might have a USA Today. There's there's no version of you or anybody like you. And it's just a lot of guessing. The guys on TV are terrible. They've barely seen anybody. And it starts to evolve over the next five, six years. And a couple of things happen this draft. One is the international stuff. People are starting to realize, all right, we can't just, it's Dirk one year. It's Tishka Vili the next year. Like we don't know anything about these guys. It's hit or miss. Maybe we should start finding out more information. How do we get more video? How are there more stories? How's there more coverage? So you jumped into that. And then the other thing was LeBron was the first high schooler that we actually had a history with because he was famous in ninth grade. His games are being shown on ESPN in, in during his senior year in high school. I, I remember watching a bunch of them. It, it was so much different than Kevin Garnett, Tracy McGrady, Omari. Kobe. Yeah. Kobe, any of these guys where you're like, oh, this guy sounds good. I didn't know him. This one, I knew he'd bought... They had a whole Hummer scandal that he had. He was driving a Hummer in years on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The hype was out of control. And it was really the first draft. I think the 03 one feels the most like a modern draft of anyone we've done. I mean, obviously, it's a million years ago. But all the seeds are in place for what the draft became, right? And we're not even, we're forgetting that the NCAA champion Carmelo Anthony who as a freshman lights up college basketball, has an infectious personality and style as well, wins the championship that year as well. And so you had not one, not two, but three players that you could make a credible argument should be the number one pick in the draft and could be potential Hall of Famers. I mean, that's how scouts and fans were seeing this at the time. That, that's a very exciting and unusual draft as well. So going backwards, to have the lottery, Memphis is in this really crazy situation where they have a top one protected first round pick, but really good lottery odds. And Jerry West is there representing the Grizzlies. You also have the Cavs, who have just been in hell for years. And this is a local kid, Akron, Cleveland. He's within 90 minutes. Uh, so you have them in there. and you, you have Denver, who's just stunk for five years. They're in this. Toronto, Miami, the Clippers, as always, are going to be in there. And it goes down in the final two. And it's Cleveland and Memphis are the only ones left who haven't had their envelopes selected. But if Memphis gets the second pick, they lose their pick entirely to Detroit. So this specific situation had never happened. This is, I think, the most famous like top blank protected pick we'd had. And Memphis's card comes up, which means it's going to Detroit. And Jerry West, it's amazing he didn't just die. If he just had a heart attack and rolled over, and that would have been it, it would have been like understandable. I mean, he just lost one of the three best players of all time. 
came within one envelope of it. Uh, that that will never be repeated. That was amazing. I think front offices learned at that point, be careful which icon you put out on the stage that night. I mean, they put Jerry West in a, a terrible position. It would have been great if he'd gotten the number one pick, but the odds were so against that to put him in that position was really, really tough. He didn't even make the trade that that caused them to lose that pick. And, and you know, if you spent time with Jerry West, you know how cantankerous he can be at times. He wasn't just going to smile. <laughs> you know, the, the, the reaction from West was, was, was classic. You know, an interesting side story to that night, I was embedded for ESPN with Darko Milicic. He'd actually just arrived from Serbia to New York City. And he just arrived, I believe, that morning. And he wanted to go get some shots up in a gym. And so we go over to John J. Gym in Manhattan for him to start working out. In the gym, literally next door, just with one of those curtains in between it, are the Detroit Pistons practicing for their playoff game uh, against, I think it was the Nets, uh, that that night. And they were doing their, their shoot-around there. Darko's on one side, Detroit's on the other side. Tony Ronzoni, who was their international scout, who was actually the guy that went, I was embedded with that went to Serbia, knew him really well. But Joe Dumars, John Hammond, the rest of the group really had not seen Darko. They, they'd not seen him play. And I walk over to the curtain and I tell Joe Dumars, you know who's shooting over there? And he's like, who? I'm like, it's Darko Milicic. And he's like, what? The, the, the practice shuts down. I'm not kidding. The practice shuts down. Everybody walks over to the to the other court where Darko Milicic is shooting around, and Tony Ronzoni, I, I mean, they probably violated a million NBA rules in this, gets on the court with him and starts putting Darko through a workout after he'd just gotten off uh, off the plane. And with with the Pistons players there, with their coaches there, with Dumars there, I'm sitting next to Dumars, and and this is what really actually sealed Darko with the number two pick in the draft. He was unconscious. In that workout, he was shooting threes. He was dunking the basketball. He was playing with great energy. I think he got pumped up for the moment as well. All the players are talking to each other. I mean, everybody in Detroit fell in love with Darko that night. And it was just one of those really amazing coincidences. And then the second coincidence is it's it's the draft lottery. I'm there at Mark Kornstein, the agent's house with Darko, and I'm I'm there for ESPN to record the reactions. The cameras are there and everything else of, you know, which guy's going to go. There's a camera with Carmelo. There's a camera with LeBron. When the Pistons get the second pick in the draft, Kornstein's phone is ringing off, off the hook, right? He's got like three cell phones and they're all ringing and, and everybody's talking to each other and will Detroit pick him? They know he's not going number one. It's clear that LeBron's going number one to Cleveland. Is is it going to be Darko and and John Hammond from the Pistons, the assistant general manager at the time, calls Mark. Mark's so busy, he hands the phone to me, and here's John Hammond on the other line saying, "We're so excited, we're going to draft Darko. We 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 love him. We can't wait to work with you." And I'm I'm the reporter. I'm like, uh, "This is actually Chad Ford." And John's like, "Oh oh oh, that's off that's off the record." And and uh, and then that night, they're at the Waldorf. And no, they're at the plaza. The Pistons are staying at the plaza that night after the game. I go up into Joe Dumar's suite with John Hammond, Joe Dumars, and they're already crafting the plan to take Darko Milicic. Uh, they 
they thought this was the guy for them. And all of that happened in the space of about like 10 hours that 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 night and just such a strange coincidence and just one of those serendipitous moments where I was just like in the right place at the right time for like three three major events. That's that's how I knew where Darko was going so clearly, even though I didn't report all of that at the time. So they get that pick. August 97, the Grizzlies are in Vancouver. It's way before Jerry West, anything. They they trade a first-round pick way down the road, roll it over, whatever, for Otis Thorpe. And it, it starts rolling over and rolling over. And now, finally, it's come to roost a full six years later. And Detroit had a good team. I mean, they basically had the team that won the finals the next year, but they have Tayshaun Prince. They both well, they have uh, one Wallace. They don't have Rashid yet because he comes the following year. Rip Hamilton, Billups is there at that point. And they're a contender. Like they took the Nets. They had a really heated series with them in the uh, conference finals. And I'm watching this as, you know, uh, I'm working for Kimmel's show at the time. And I'm just in disbelief that Carmelo's not the second pick. I, w- I was like, this guy's a sure thing. I, I didn't feel as strongly as I did a- about Durant. Where Durant, I was just like, this guy, I don't know what's going to happen with Odin. His ceiling's probably higher, but I know Durant's going to be like a, a, a transcendent offensive player. With Carmelo, he just seemed like a sure thing. I knew what he was. He was 25 points a game. He was Mark Aguirre for this generation. And I couldn't understand why they couldn't, wouldn't take him. Because they were, at the time, they were, they were playing in these playoff games that were like 79, 74. 81 to 70, 69 to 65. And it was like, well, who needs Carmelo more than this team? They love Tayshaun Prince. I mean, that's really what it came down to. And they became infatuated with Darko. You also became infatuated. What yeah. did you learn All that you took going forward? What, what, what did you get wrong about Darko? Well, let me also just say that if Darko had not been the pick, I believe the Pistons, who I was very close with at the time, would have selected Chris Bosh at number two, not not Carmelo Anthony. He also came in for a secret workout with the Pistons and had it had a great workout for them. There was a lot, and I have to be really careful here because some of this, I maybe I'll talk about when Carmelo's retired and and we're all down the road. There was a lot of off the court concerns about Carmelo Anthony uh, that had come out since the the NCAA tournament had been over. One of which is that he didn't pick up a basketball before like a week before the combine. And you know Carmelo's frame and sort of what happens next. Like he showed up at the combine vastly out of shape. And that had been after they'd put in a, a good week or 10 days before that. He There was a lot of questions about his focus on basketball, who he hung out with, other questions about you know things that he was doing in his, his off time and what have you. And, and the Pistons and a number of teams were were really worried. Where LeBron had a clean, clean sheet as far as all of that that went, there was a lot of concerns about Carmelo. Some of which played out actually, frankly, in the NBA, and and, and you saw it happen at the time. And I was embedded with Carmelo for a day as well at the combine. And let's just say that that story never. We agree. I agreed with the agent to kill the story. Um, at the end, it was that bad, and. You know, I had the opportunity to write a really, I think, somewhat scandalous story about that day. But my intent as a reporter at the time, he's a young, young, young man 
who hadn't figured it all out yet. And do you want to try to ruin a, a young guy's career early on by making some dumb decisions and having some people around you that you should never have around you when you're an, have an NBA reporter that's writing a day in the life of? And, you know, it's just some of the stuff that just really did, didn't happen. We just agreed to kill it um, at the time. But, but Dumars knew. And so I think it would have been Bosch, just, just as a side note there. And interestingly enough, if Jerry West had gotten the number two pick in the draft, it would have been Dwayne Wade. He was as high as anybody in the draft on Dwayne Wade. He did not like Darko. He did not like Carmelo. Dwayne Wade was his guy. And if he didn't, it, it was it was a LeBron, Dwayne Wade. Just really interesting, you know, side <laughs> secret, secret parts of the draft that people don't know. I'm not, I'm not delaying the question of what did I get wrong with Darko. Can I can I jump in on Carmelo for one second? Yeah. I mean, he had just won the title. He had just had the greatest one and done season anyone ever had. And by the end of it, we were like, this guy's amazing, handsome, what a, what a personality. And I do wonder, maybe that went to his head a little bit, you know, and, and especially like stuff like somebody just getting out of shape before the draft. That's something that in 2020 never happens. And if it happens now, it's an even bigger red flag with social media and just the whisper. The whisper stuff is just so much more deep now. I don't think you could do that. I think these guys are so much more aware, even in AAU, in ninth grade and 10th grade, of how they're being perceived by people who are studying them. And I, that's why this class of guys that have come in the league last five, six years, they're just really impressive people. They're really, they're like adults. Jason Tatum came to the Celtics. He was 19. It was like, he was like a 30-year-old man. It's like, how, how, how are you this adult already? So I do think that's changed over the years. I, I do as well. And and I also think it look, it spoke to the personality of the two players. LeBron has had an incredible work ethic his entire career, has worked on his body, has worked on his game. You never saw that really with Carmelo in the NBA either. He I think one of the disappointments in Carmelo was he was sort of the same player, a really good player in the NBA because he could score the basketball, but never dramatically improved his game, never really polished his weaknesses in a way, never got in the sort of elite shape uh, that he could have gotten into to be an MVP. And I think some of this is just how much you love the game, how driven you are, how competitive you are as a person. And I think on that end, LeBron lapped Carmelo. And Wade probably too, at least the first part of their career. I, I do think Carmelo figured it out in the early part of the 2010s with the Knicks. And I thought, the 13th season and the 14th season, 13th season. Yeah. I think he was second in MVP that year, but um, really kind of at, started adding to his game, taking more threes. He extended his range and tapped into, you know, I had it written down. So Carmelo in 2013, 14, he was 28 a game, seven and a half rebounds, 39% from three, taking a lot of threes, 24.6 PER, 33.9% usage, which was pretty high. But compared to his career averages, I mean, I, I, I was just so psyched that he had finally turned into the guy that I thought he was going to be. And unfortunately, his team sucked. And then I, what happened the last five years happened. But uh, with Darko, what, what would you do again? What, like, what would you go back and tell 2003, Chad Ford, don't, don't listen to blank? Um, well, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the best way to answer this. Because on one hand, I don't think I was wrong about Darko the prospect from a talent standpoint. 
as a seven-footer athletic, could do it all, and played with an attitude and with a chip on his shoulder in Serbia. And while his numbers were up and down uh, on a Serbia's team, when you looked at his age, he was, in fact, his agent, if you remember, had to file like a lawsuit uh, with the NBA to let him in the draft because there was a debate about whether you had to be 18 on draft night or 18 in the calendar year. Darko wasn't even going to be, he was 17 on the, on, on the night that he was drafted. The talent was off the charts. I think if you talk to anybody who played with Darko, who practiced with Darko in the NBA, you know, ask Ben Wallace or Rashid Wallace or, or Chauncey Billups or, or these players, was Darko talented? They'd say off the charts, off the charts talent. And so I, I don't actually think that I got it wrong from a talent standpoint. Where, where I got it dramatically wrong was I thought it was great that he was getting drafted by Detroit. I thought they'd bring him along slowly. I thought that he would, he would slowly work his way into being the guy they needed to be and probably needed that time. I think it was the worst thing that ever happened to him. The pressure that was on him to compete with the LeBrons and the Carmelo Anthonys of the world was high. The, the, the confidence that he had, and then he was essentially a, a joke. Right, he was the a human victory cigar is I think the 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 term that that people used for him. He couldn't get into the game. He would play well in practice, but it never translated to any, any minutes. He began to become really distrustful of the coaching staff, especially Larry Brown. He also was in a huge cultural transition from Serbia to Detroit. He didn't bring his family with him. Uh, he was holed up in his apartment whenever he wasn't playing. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of this has been reported now, alcohol, other things start to play a role. Depression starts to play a major role. And then just this hope after the year one that he's going to be able to play the next year. And when it doesn't really materialize there, the attitude just drops off the charts. Uh, He's angry. He's frustrated. He hates America. He hates his, his coaches. And I just don't think Darko recovered from that. I, I, I think that his attitude about the game, about the NBA, about the way that they played, the way that he was treated was so negative after that. And some of that was his personality and stuff that I didn't actually know sort of coming in into it, that, that he never really recovered the way uh, that I, I, his talent suggested he could become as a player. And maybe the work ethic as well, though everybody says his rookie year, he worked really hard. I think he just started to believe that it doesn't matter what I do. I'm not going to get in the game. And so what, what should I do anymore? Yeah. You think like, so the first, first six picks of this draft are Cleveland, Detroit, Denver, Toronto, Miami, and the Clippers. So let's say Detroit says, eh, Chris Bosh, safer bet. He's, he's here. He's young. We can, we can bring him in. Great kid. We'll take him. I think Denver still takes Carmelo three and then Darko, maybe he ends up on Toronto. I think Kiki Vandeweghe takes Darko based off of my conversations that I had with the Nuggets at the time. They were going to take Darko Milicic. Oh, so you think, interesting. So either way, Denver or Toronto, I think is a better situation because we've seen it go the other way too. Like Jermaine O'Neal was on Portland for four years on, on really good playoff teams, not playing a lot. But by the time he got to Indiana, whatever about that experience, like he immediately turned into like a top 15, top 20 guy. Darko went the other way. and it- He handled the adversity in a way that Darko didn't. And some of that's on Darko. And 
you know, I make this point a lot, Bill, in the draft. There's always a few players in every draft that no matter what situation you send, send them in, or sometimes maybe just one player like LeBron, no matter what team you put him on, no matter who his head coach was, no matter how much they screwed him early on in his career, LeBron was going to be a star in the NBA. He was going to figure it out. But for so many other players, it's context specific. You have to land on the right team, the right system. The coach has to believe in you. There's so many factors that go into making players great. And one player I always look at is Draymond Green. He has such a unique skill set or what have you. You could see Draymond Green. I think I could see Draymond Green on certain teams falling out of the league in a couple of years. But Steve Kerr knew how to play him. They created a role for him right away. He thrived in that role, became a star. I do think things may have been different for Darko if he'd landed on Toronto or if he had landed uh, in Denver. A, a good example of this, I think, is Dirk, which I, I can't remember if we talked about in your pod. I know we talked about it when we did the 98 redraftables. He goes to Dallas. They they make this big trade for him. And he it's a shortened season. It's a 50-game season because it's post-lockout. He's 19 or 20. He weighs 100 pounds. He's getting the crap kicked out of him. And he wasn't happy. And Mark Stein, when, when we did the, uh, the pyramid podcast for the book of basketball, and we talked about Dirk, he was saying like, Dirk was homesick. Wasn't, you know, he might go to Germany and not come back. And I think having Steve Nash on that team kind of adopt him, take him under his wing, become like his big brother, help him kind of get used to America was probably the most important thing that ever happened to him. So I do, I'm with you. Like, this does feel like it was the worst case scenario for Darko. I still think they should have taken Carmelo. Now, I didn't know all the all the behind the scenes stuff and people worried about his weight, all that stuff. But um, but there is, you know, if you play Darko's career 10 times, are, are there four versions of it where he's really good? You know, I think if you played Tishkabili's career 10 times, 10 out of 10 times, he's he's not cut. He's it. no good. Darko, there's there's a world in which he's like Derek Coleman, because he had he had three point skills, he had the lefty low post game, he was a good passer. And he did have some moments later on when Memphis took a chance on him, where it was like, all right, there's stuff here. But at that point, it did seem like basketball had been beaten out of him a little bit. Like he just or that shortened season in Orlando that when he was traded to there, where Darko actually looked like he was going to start to live up to his promise when he was in Orlando for that short time, as well. Look, I don't know, I don't actually think now that I've seen everything that he would be as ever as good as I thought he was going to be coming in just everything that I know, even in the right situation, but would he be a joke and the brunt of all of the sort of bust memes that, that he is, I, I think in lots of scenarios, he wouldn't have been that. And, you know, it's interesting with Dirk, Donnie Nelson, who really pushed for Dirk, thought he was going to lose his job, thought Mark Cuban was going to fire him that year because Dirk was, was really awful. But they had Kiki Vandaway on the staff that year. They had players that uh, they had a, a whole development team around Dirk to to develop this asset. And for reasons, the Detroit Pistons organization, by the way, I think was run very well. So, but for reasons that I don't quite understand, that didn't really happen with Darko. There really wasn't that developmental curve the way that also Milwaukee did with Giannis Antetokounmpo as well where they said, this is our asset and we're going to pour resources in, coaches, different people to work with him and make him everything he ought to be. And I know Detroit would probably push back and said, we did more than you think, but it wasn't to the level of what Dallas did 
which is partly why Dirk becomes Dirk. Well, and you also have, think about who's on that Detroit team at the time. You got Ben Wallace, who's been fighting for every chance he's ever had, dating back to the draft. He's not even drafted. And that guy just wants to destroy everybody. He was just a badass. You have Hamilton and Billups, who are just like the pros, pros, handle their business a certain way. You have Tayshon, four-year senior at uh, Kentucky, who comes in. He handles his business a certain way. And then you have Rashid coming in midseason, who is a force of nature. You put all those guys together and Darko, young Darko trying to prove himself. I'm with you. I, I hated the pick. I certainly made fun of it a lot over the years. But I also think what an unfair situation for him. And, you know, then you look at the rest of the draft, or at least the top five, uh, the, the, the big situation winner was Wade. Wade goes to Miami. He goes to Pat Riley. He got Karan Butler uh, is already there. The team's good immediately. I, I thought that playoff team they had when he was a rookie, like they, there were some good pieces on that team. And he's just in a position to succeed. He's got a little chip on his shoulder because he's the fifth guy. He's the last guy mentioned as they talk about this great draft. You have LeBron and Darko and Carmelo and Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. And that's as good of a situation as you're going to get. Then all of a sudden the Shaq trade a year later and every single thing checks out for him is the opposite. Right. He, he landed in the perfect, perfect situation for him. And that's not to take away from his talent or the work that, that, that he put into it. It wasn't like the situation made him the star that he was, but it gave him all of the environment that he needed to be that guy. And he did have a chip on his shoulder. He was working out in Chicago with Tim Grover. And I remember going to watch him work out pre-draft and he already had the edge on his shoulder. I mean, he would come up and approach me like, why am I not higher? like on, on your board. And, you know, this guy, this guy, you know, Dwayne Wade was already thinking about tearing apart everybody that was ahead of him in the draft and didn't, and in, in his, in fairness to him, there was two obsessions that weren't fair to him. One was the obsession with high school players and young players and writing off players that had played multiple years in college. That was a thing that's still a thing to a certain extent in the NBA. And the second was this growing obsession with international players that every international player that could show up and shoot a three or handle the ball was going to be the next Dirk or next Pau Gasol in, in the NBA. He had both of those things going against him as a veteran college player that people weren't looking at him as seriously as they should have given the talent. And he recognized that. And he, he gave me a really hard time pre-draft because I had I mean, here's where my bigger mistake was. I drank the Kool-Aid, not just with Darko, with every international player that was in the draft that year. I, it wasn't just like I drank one. I, I, I went all, I had Machik Lampy, number five, number, number five, right? Uh, and I wrote in my draft grades, I gave Miami an A minus for drafting Dwayne Wade. I said, well, they didn't draft Machik Lampy, but Dwayne Wade was a really good, really good choice here. <laughs> As well, and we could go down the list: Mikel Petras, uh, Boris Jao, Carlos Delfino, Sophocles Shortsonitis, uh, who the, everybody called the Baby Shack, Greek Shack, uh, at the time. I bit again and again and again. I, I went all in on every international player, and I think the exoticness of 
of traveling with those scouts, of, of seeing their excitement and being really for the first time in my life and, and pseudo MBA scout just out doing what I was doing created a love affair for those guys that was just really unrealistic given the talent. There was a ton of international players that went in the first round of that draft. I have a record number, but none of them really pan out. So this draft ends up with a four-time MVP, super-duper star, top three player of all time. An all-timer in Wade. I have Wade in the top 30. He's a level four pyramid guy for me. A franchise guy in Carmelo. Chris Bosh, who somehow made 11 all-star teams. That was, it was more, more than I ever expected. Um, and then just a bunch of good players across the board. What's weird is after the top five, the next 55 picks, you could basically just take a snow globe and shake them. And, and you know, it just, it all hell breaks loose after pick five. But here's, we did Zach Cram from the ringer, did some uh, Zachs, we call these for the, for the draft. The players in 03 combined for 56 career all-star appearances. That ranks second, only behind 1996. The average player from this draft collected 30.1 career win shares. That also ranks second behind 96. The top five players from this draft averaged 114 win shares. And that's with Darko pulling down the average and ruining it for the other guys. Right. Uh, it's the best for any top five since 84. And then uh, the second rounder just had crazy shooters. Capono, Corver, Matt Bonner, James Jones. And that's one of the things that I think gets lost with this draft is, is just how deep it is. Like, we're going to pick 14 guys and guys that are probably not going to get taken are guys like Luke Walton, Zaza Peculia, James Jones, Marquis Daniels. There's just this draft for whatever reason, pumped out a shitload of guys that you recognize from playoff games and, and different things like that. Um, the top undrafted player was Marquis Daniels. The, the two things that seem like they definitely happened was Pat Riley almost took Chris Kamen. What, what do you remember about that? Chris Kamen versus Wade, like there was like a battle in Miami. Which guy do we take? And Lampy, by, by the way. way. And, and Miami, Miami I, I think, think we'll admit, admit it. it. All three of those guys were were seriously on their board at five. And and Lampy's issue, what saved the NBA from Machik Lampy, was that there were serious questions about whether his team was going to let him out of his contract over the next several years. And they sent a letter to the NBA just days before the draft saying, don't tamper with our player. We have the rights to him. We're not letting him out of his contract. And his agent was a younger, less experienced agent that didn't really know how to handle this the right way. And it spooked teams that you're that he's not going to be able to come over for a really long time. He had a really, really bad contract. And 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 so that was that's actually what saved some teams from making a, a huge mistake here. And we also forget that Pavel Podkolzin was in this draft. Oh, your guy. For a really long time, too. At, before he pulled out right before the deadline to pull out when at the combine, when he had gone through the medicals, they had noticed the pituitary gland problem that actually required immediate surgery. And he actually pulled out. Interestingly, his agent was Justin Zanuck who is now the, the general manager of the Utah Jazz, Pavel Petkolzin's agent uh, at the time. And so there's, a, there's a, a fun little fact. But the other interesting thing, of all those things you said about this draft, 
was this was the draft for international players. This was the draft where international players were going to change the league. The best international player in the draft went 21, and that was Boris Zhao. And maybe Leandro Barbosa, who went 28, was the next best international player in this draft. And then maybe Zaza Pachulia. None of these guys are going to set the NBA on fire. And, and then there was a massive amount of uh, international bust uh, in this draft. And I actually think they set the international movement back several years because after that happened, everybody went the opposite way. The pendulum swung the other way. And every international player after Schizavili and, and Darko was a bust and you had to prove otherwise. You know, um, I actually, uh, I got to ESPN in 2001, right around the same time as you. And I would say over the next two years, the draft turned into something else. And I, I think the internet had a lot to do with it. The ESPN.com piece of it where, um, you know, it, it, it just more, more and more people are going month by month to ESPN.com and, and just grabbing information from there. And, uh, and you could really feel it becoming kind of a franchise event. I had always loved it. I know you had always loved it, but it was always kind of underground for the hoop junkies. People watched it. It started to become a 12 month a year draft this season. I think Oh, two Oh three because of LeBron, because of all these international guys, because Carmelo has the year he had, this is the first year that I felt like for 12 months a year, the draft was on my mind in some form. Is that fair? Absolutely. I mean, just look at the year before in 2001, what have you. I mean, for many of these players, you saw them for the first time, maybe video of them on draft night, <laughs> right? When they're drafted, right? That's when you're seeing, you know, especially the high school players and what have you to everybody knew who LeBron James was. Everybody who cared about basketball had probably even seen him play a game because ESPN was now televising games. Darko, they sent cameras over to Serbia after I got back. There was footage of Darko playing overseas that he was on the cover of ESPN, the magazine uh, at, at, the, at the time. And, and then, of course, Carmelo. I think this is, this is the moment when the draft did take off to be what it is now though in some ways as, as we we talked about the greatest three drafts it's never quite lived up to i think the the fervor and excitement that was generated in 2003 i've never quite felt the same way about the draft that i felt that year you don't think 07 was like that i felt like the duran odin thing was so much fun that year plus horford and conley and joakim noah like I don't know. I love that draft. I, I felt like at that point, everything had really rounded. We're doing our back and forth before the draft. Yeah. And, um, and plus a lot of people love that college season, you know, and, I think and that's, that championship that's the game was incredible. It. Yeah. That's the closest to it for sure. I'm going to go through some of the comedy from this draft really quickly. We found out Chris Kamen's, uh, dad was named Leroy, Leroy Kamen. So I inducted him into the Reggie Cleveland all-stars with Grady Little and guys like that. Uh, Portland had just drafted the best head case available for years on end. And it became a running joke. And then the jailblazers, the jailblazers, the whole thing. There's a high scorer named Travis outlaw who was not, who was not a head case, but his name was outlaw. And the joke was like, Oh, of course, Portland's going to take him. the year before they take it. Quintel woods. I was like, Oh, of course they're going to take him. 
So the natural evolution of all of this was for them to take a guy named Outlaw, and they did. And, they and did. Tom, Tom Tolbert was doing the draft. He had a joke ready for it, the whole thing. So that happened. Uh, they showed a montage of Darko highlights. I had in my draft diary. Um, it, it, it was a little like the Giannis highlights in the, in the Greek YMCA. It was like, who are these guys? And uh, House had a joke. I think he just posted up Scotty Thurman, which is actually like conceivable that he did. So I had that in the draft diary. Um, Zarko Kabarkapa. Yep. Is that how you say it? He got taken by Phoenix and Jay Billis told, this is Jay Billis's first draft. And he told us he has been compared favorably to Nicholas Tishkavili. That was, that was the uh, review of that pick. So that was, we uh, didn't know he was a bust yet. Yeah, we didn't quite was, know that yet. And then, um, apparently they, and my Clipper friends, when I, when I got Clippers tickets and got to know some of the Clippers behind the scene stuff, apparently Donald Sterling did not want to take a white guy. And was upset about the Chris Kamen pick and, and was arguing against it because of the, the failure of white centers over the years. And it was like a thing and they ended up taking him anyway. And he threw a tantrum. So I don't know. I don't know if, do you remember that? Cause I had that, that one. I notes. don't, that one I don't remember. Yeah. Well, if that didn't happen, it's still funny. And I have no, I have no problem uh, passing that along, but I do think that did happen. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. First, search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the Rewatchables or the Dave Chang Show or the Ringer NBA Show. Once you find them, click on the follow button. That's how you subscribe. Then click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. Wait, it gets better. In Spotify, you can adjust the speed of the pods to seven different speeds. 0.5 times is the slowest. I actually sound drunk at 0.5. You can do 0.8 times, 1.2 times, which is my favorite. Everyone sounds like they just had a good cup of coffee. And then there's 1.5 times, two times. And if you're completely insane, three times. Anyway, Spotify's app connects directly to many of the best automobiles in the world. It even has a CarPlay feature. That's pretty cool. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. Should you be embarrassed that you're not listening to podcasts on Spotify? Well, I don't want to app shame you, but the answer, unfortunately, is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Back to yours. Okay, we are going to do the redraftables. Do you, you want the first pick or the second pick? Well, since you get the first pick every time, Bill, go, go for it. I'll, I'll redeem myself at number two for Detroit this time. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Well, LeBron is obviously our first pick. I would say um, probably the greatest, him and Tim Duncan, the greatest two number one picks of the last 25 years. Then if you're going back 30 years, now you throw Shaq in there. Um, Kareem going back to 1970. It's it's funny how the the greatest pick being the actual first overall pick is not something that happens quite as often as you think it would. But this is certainly yeah, it's not a thing. This is when try when you're thinking about oh man, if we win the lottery, what's the best case scenario? This was the best case scenario. The three best players of all time are him, Russell, and Jordan. He's the only one that goes first. So you got that. All right, you're on the clock. Cleveland took that pick, obviously. 
and brought poor LeBron into a team that had Ricky Davis and was just a train wreck and they figured it out. Uh, you're on the clock with Detroit. Um, I, you can do this either way. You can do it. Who is the best player? Um, or you can be, who should, who should Detroit have been taken? I'll let you do both versions. I think in both ways, the guy they missed was Wade. Yeah. And the guy that actually could have come in, fit their culture, fit the the type of player that Joe Dumars and the Pistons really loved, a guy that was more ready, perhaps in this case off the bench, to right. contribute to a Pistons team right away. That, you know, even Bosch didn't make perfect sense there because I actually think Bosch would have fallen into the same trap that Darko had fallen into. I don't think Larry Brown was playing Chris Bosch either. If he wasn't going to play Darko, he also wasn't going to play Chris Bosch. And, and we may have a very, very different story to tell about Chris Bosch if he had gone to. I think Dwayne Wade would have earned minutes on this team. I don't know that it would have been the best for his career the way Miami was. But I certainly think that that, that player, both in retrospect and even now thinking about it at the time and what Detroit needed and what they could have used was the pick for them all the way. It's an incredible what if, because if they do take him, they win the title next year anyway, but basically he's getting all the Lindsey Hunter minutes and, you know, he's, I guess the sixth man, but somebody who's so athletic, you could play three guards. You could play him with Billups and Hamilton um, or just spell them. But basically you would have three unbelievable guards at all time. The the one-on-one stuff that he would have been able to do would really help them. He was incredible defensively back then that would have helped them. And then down, you know, it probably opens the door for them to probably pursue. Do they trade rip, you know, a year later or two years later or something like that, that Oh four team though, if you put him on that Oh four team, that's an insane team. That might've been an all time team. Once they added Rashid. It's, uh, a, it's a dynasty. I actually think. Yeah, because they they were really good anyway. I, I was looking back when we did the Tayshawn draft, the amount of playoff games he played in, that team was playing like 18 to 25 playoff games a year for like five, six years. They made two finals. They won one. But yeah, I mean, if you just, if you switch Darko and Wade, that has to at least spin two titles. Plus the league was pretty weak back then. You know, 05, 06, 07 range. It was not, it was pretty talent poor from that point. All right, I'm up at number three. I, I did. My scouts did look at Chris Bosch for a while. We brought him in. We talked to him. You like um, him? We thought about him for Denver, the stability, and um, and also how the Carmelo era actually did work out in Denver. But I'm I'm probably more pro Carmelo than most. I I don't want to say I'm a stand for Carmelo, but I I am a I would say a defender. Um, I said in the draft hour I wrote at number three Denver happily takes the MJ to Darko Sam Bowie. Um, he did not turn out to be MJ, but I do think there's a roadmap that he could. And I made this case. I wrote a column a few years ago about it. There's a roadmap where he could have been 2011 Dirk for a title team, where if you'd built the right kind of veteran, awesome defense kind of team with him, just as the scorer, it might've worked. And it, and to be honest, it almost did in 09 because they was 2-2 against the Lakers in the conference finals. They had that run with Kmart and Nene and Chauncey Billups, all those guys. And that year he was 27, 6-4, and 45% uh, field goal, nine free throws a game. And this is, you know, for eight weeks and seven weeks in the playoffs, not much different than what Dirk's stats were in 2011. So 
I'm still a believer. I think it's, it, I think if you get a guy that did all the stuff Carmelo did in his career with the third pick, you're doing pretty well. I think you're actually right. I think that there's so much about his legacy that is tainted by being on those poor teams later on and questioning whether he's a winner. And even though he won the title at Syracuse, I think this is also a guy who had to live up to incredible hype as well. And, you know, you look at the, the win shares for LeBron and they're 236 and for Carmelo, they're 102. And just the expectation that he was going to be the guy instead of just looking at what he actually was, which was a really good basketball player. And I do think the perception, if they had won that series, that 2-2 series, if they had won that series, I think we may start thinking about and talking about Carmelo in a completely different way. Denver probably Agreed. does something different. And his career just takes a different, a different tack than, than how it ended up. And this is yet another example of, unless you're LeBron James or Kobe Bryant, where you land and, and sometimes the, your teammates and your coaches and the way the ball bounces affects the perception of your career. And he also had, um, you know, it's LeBron, Wade, and Carmelo. He's the only one out of the three that never made a finals but was always lumped with those guys. They became the banana boat guys. And then he had a whole run with the Knicks where the spotlight of him being on the Knicks versus being on, I don't know, Oklahoma city or Denver or, um, Orlando. It's just different. He was dissected and picked apart by a fan base in the, in the biggest city that mostly liked him and still, I think defends him in a lot of ways, but it was just the spotlight was on, him in a way that doesn't match up with what actually happened in New York. Like they basically, they, they made it to round two once and they lost in six. Right. It wasn't like, it, it was like they had this unbelievable run, but it, it, it felt bigger than I think it was. Um, you're on the clock with the fourth pick, which was Toronto. And again, this is Chris Bosch all the way. I mean, interestingly, this is a draft that for the most part, with the exception of Darko, they were getting this right. I, I think Chris Bosch, was right there. The fourth best pick in this draft is right where he was taken. If injuries don't shorten his career the way that they do, maybe we would be making the argument that he's above Carmelo, right? Because we we see a, a shortened career that wasn't because he was dropping off as a player, but dropping off because of the injuries that that he um that he faced. And so to me, Chris Bosch, hands down, fourth best player maybe third best player if he stays healthy his entire career. I wrote during the draft diary, he's like a young Keon Clark, only without the baggage in the bond collection. I, I was always nervous about really skinny, tall, kind of power forward center guys. The track record had not been great for those guys. And Tweener, tweener-ish. Yeah. yeah, it's like, all right, well, this guy's just going to get, you know, moved around by basically anybody. He turned into an awesome player. Um, 11 all And an awesome guy. Awesome, yeah, awesome a, person too. Incredible teammate. Uh, one of my favorite people to do a podcast with. Made one second team all NBA. His last five Toronto years, he was 23 and 10, 50% field goal. A little like Carl Anthony Towns in that. An awesome guy to have on your team, but if he's your best guy, you're probably not a 50-win team. Like he just, you know, there was that one missing chip with him. In the Miami playoff years, four postseasons for them, two, uh, four finals, two titles. He was 15 and seven. They just, you know, they, they relegated him to third banana status. 
he had this interesting, you know, post LeBron season when he started having the blood clot issues, but was the guy on that Miami team, you know, and it was, it was a kind of an older version of Wade. And then, um, and then obviously, uh, Bosch seeming like at the tail end of his prime and he was, you know, a 22 point a game guy again. And a guy who as the league evolved and, and three point shooting bigs became more important was ahead of the curve. Cause that's how Miami was using him. I, I feel cheated because I really think he would have had an awesome kind of second half of his career as a way better version of Sam Perkins in the nineties, basically. Right. I, I agree with all that. And the, the other thing I'll say about Chris Bosch, what sort of player that's doing as well as he's doing in Toronto says, I'm not going to be second banana. I'm going to be third banana to LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. How many players have the humility to re- to move down in status that far and be 15 and seven when it's clear when LeBron leaves, he goes back up to 22 and 10, that he was that sort of player because he wanted to win championships and he wanted to play with those guys. I think that's an underrated part of Chris Bosh being more about winning, more about playing the game the way that he wants to play and enjoying himself than stuffing stats and, and being perceived as an individually great player he wanted to be perceived as a champion and and he made that decision i think it was controversial at the time for his for his career and i i admire him for it i think clay thompson's like that i think so and i think there's been other guys over the years that you know mikhail and parish were like that to some degree where mikhail would have been mikhail was a top 5 guy at his peak and at and any other team he's the best guy and you know you kind of accept like this is an awesome situation we might be able to win titles here um, Bosch and Clay, I feel like were, ha, e- even though their games had nothing in common, I think they had a lot in common for kind of what they sacrificed just to be in the spotlight. I forgot to mention with Dwayne Wade, it is a fun what if, if Miami takes Chris came in there because the next pick is the Clippers and you could have had Dwayne Wade going to the Clippers for the 0304 season, which was the last Shaq and Kobe season. And I don't know. I, I, I just feel like he was so good. I don't think there's any team that he wouldn't have succeeded on, even a team as dysfunctional as the Clippers, right? And they had some talent in that 03-04 season, those mid-2000s Clippers teams. They finally made a run in 06, but like Elton Brand was there already. You know, they still, I think they traded Darius Miles for Andre Miller that summer, but um, but they, they, that he actually could have maybe flipped the Clippers around. We might've had a Dwayne Wade Kobe thing because, and I've said this before, I still think Dwayne Wade's 09 season was greater than any Kobe season. He's 35 and eight, 30.4 PR, which is ridiculous for a guard from 05 to 11. He was 27, five and seven in the playoffs from 05 to 2012, their first title or second title, 26, six and five, um, two first team on base, three seconds and three thirds. And honestly, he should have made first team over Kobe in 2011. So um, it's it's a pretty, the Clippers have had a lot of what ifs over the years, 98, that could take guys. But that's one where if Riley just screws up, their, their next 15 years are completely different. And that's the draft in a nutshell right there. And it was really close. Yeah. They were really close to screwing up. And, you know, it's from their standpoint, it was Wade all the way. But at the time, it wasn't. And, and this no. is 2020 hindsight vision that even teams that hit home runs 
they're very close to striking out. Very, very close sometimes. The line is very thin. Yeah. All right, number five pick, ironically, Miami, which is why I want to talk about that because uh, taking Wade, they end up winning the title a couple of years later, and then he ends up luring LeBron, and it makes the next 12 years for them. I have them. So here's some guys on the board just for people living at home. There's uh, David West, Boris Diaw, Kyle Korver, Josh Howard, Kirk Heinrich, Mo Williams, Leandro Barbosa, Kendrick Perkins, Michael Pietras, TJ Ford. I am taking West. He you ended up to. going. He ended up going 18th in this draft. He just was really good. I mean, you go look at his career from 06 to 14. He's 18 and eight. His 08 New Orleans team was really competitive as a playoff team. You know, they're like a fringe contender. And then on those Indiana teams in 13 and 14, especially, you know, they were going toe to toe with Miami. That was a top four team in the league. And awesome guy. I know when he went to Golden State later in his career was a really important veteran guy for them. And I, I, everyone just speaks glowingly of that dude from every stop he's ever been in. Seems like a logical fifth pick. Another guy that suffered from, he wasn't a high school senior. He wasn't a freshman and he wasn't an international player. And at the time, there was just a fairly severe bias against players that, had proven themselves in college. It was one of these weird situations, I think, where like if you weren't drafted sooner, there must be something wrong with you. And so we're not going to take you now either. And Danny Granger exactly was like that West too, remember? was everything he was in college. Yeah. And Danny Granger, Indiana had a whole team of those guys because Danny Granger was another one. He fell to 19 and it was, it was stupid. So West was a guy for his career, he averaged 0.23s a game. 26.5% from threes for his career. Just didn't take him. He was a mid-range guy. A kind of guy that doesn't really exist anymore. And I, I wonder, like, 03 David West coming into the league in 2020, they're, he's, they're probably making him shoot 1,200 threes a day. You got to forget this mid-range stuff. You got to stretch out. And I think he would have had a different career. I like this version of West. I, I thought he was a bad motherfucker. Like, he, he was one of those dudes that... uh you know, you wanted him on your side, especially in a playoff series when it got tough. All right. The clips are on the clock at number six. And for the record, we've had a drop off. I think now it's like anything's possible. I don't know what you're going to do. Let's see it. Well, we, we dropped off already after, after Wade, Bosch, LeBron, Carmelo. I mean, there was a drop yeah. as good as West was. I don't think he's in that. I like to talk about draft tiers. I don't think he was in that tier. No, he was in his I own think, tier. Yeah. He was like right, by there's, himself there's, in that tier. There's tier one, there's tier two. In that tier sits one person, right? Which is uh, which is West. Yeah, I I debated this a lot about what I'm going to do here with the next guy on the board. And I think there's a lot of guys that you could argue for. I just went with Kyle Korver. Much tra uh, much traveled. And his basketball reference page is hilarious. It's just it, it's it's like as long as the Bible. He's he had all these stops. He's traded in midseason, but man, talk about somebody that translates to the current era. He could shoot it, the basketball. As one of the great greatest shooters in the last couple of decades. Averaged twenty five minutes a game throughout his career because he could really shoot the basketball. Ashton Kutcher look alike. Fifty 
first pick in this draft. He's spent a few years in Philly, goes to Utah, goes to Chicago, Atlanta, ends up with LeBron in Cleveland, back to Utah, and then uh, Milwaukee. But yeah, for his career, I was shocked because this is kind of atypical for guys from this area. It's 43% for his career. And this is da- dating back to 03, like 38 With a high volume. Awesome. With a high yeah. volume of threes. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't think he's a Ray Allen type when we talk about the greatest three-point shooters ever because he was really a specialist. But I think as far as specialists go, uh, one of the best ones, I had him seventh on my board. So I'm going to take the guy who I had sixth on my board. Might surprise you. It's another international guy. Okay. Boris Diaw. So I'll make the case for Boris, and this is how I look at this stuff. By the way, this pick would have been for Chicago. Um, We saw Boris at his best making meaningful contributions to teams that had a chance to win the title and in 2014 actually did win the title. But I was shocked by his his stats on the 06 Suns, the year that uh, Amara Stoudemire got hurt. And he's basically, he's playing center. And he's this young guy that got in the Joe Johnson trade. They don't know, they don't really know him. He put up a 19-7-5 in the, in the 2006 playoffs in 20 games. And this is against the best, the West was better in the East that year. Um, he had that run. And then in San Antonio, especially in 14, was really a problem. You know, he was somebody that had learned to stretch the floor a little bit. He could play. I thought he was a really good defender. He was a beloved teammate and was a guy that battled with weight. And, you know, that we made all made fat jokes about him, fat Boris, all that stuff. He would kind of come and go from a shape standpoint, but I don't know. I, I just, for what I'm getting here and, and how unique he was and the fact that I can play him as my stretch five and fit him in it and play him with all kinds of teams. I could play him with any team that loves to move the ball and he's going to fit in because he was such a good basketball player. Uh, I, that's what I'm taking. And that's with the, that was the seventh pick, right? Or six? Yeah. Seventh. Seventh pick. So you're up at eight. Averaged eight and a half points a game. That's, I know. That's the drop off we're talking about. You know, I saw him and he was teammates with Michael Pietras in France. They were on the same team and I traveled to France to watch them play together. And, you know, Jao went 21, Pietras went 11. And everyone thought because of the athleticism and the fact that Pietras was a classic two guard who could shoot the ball, who could get to the basket, where Boris was such an odd, odd player, especially back then. It was hard to pigeonhole him even in France. Like, what is he? What is, what is he going to be? It's just really interesting that here you could watch them on the same team and and be so wrong about who was going to end up being in the league for 14 years and and who was going to wash out of the league. Well, Patriots played 10 years, actually, which is surprising. Had a couple of nice really, runs. Yeah. Oh, nine magic. Ne- he was he was weirdly important. Yeah. But never really lived up to what we thought he would be. I just look okay, at I'm it. on the board. I, I took yeah, you're on the board. I the biggest thing for me with Dia was like, you know, like Heinrich or Heinrich, I always call him Heinrich, Heinrich, uh, Mo Williams, Barbosa. I always feel like I can just get scoring guards who can't, who, you know, flawed scoring guards or in Heinrich's case, a really good defensive player. Um, it's just harder to find a guy like Dio 
a guy who can play the four and the five and is so malleable. I, I really respected when he was at his peak, what, what he could do. All right. You're in the clock for uh, eight. It was Milwaukee. If you yeah. remember, there was another draft story this night, one that got me in a lot of trouble. Michael Jordan was trying to buy uh, the Bucks wow. that night. And they thought that there was a deal in place at the time for Jordan to, to, to own the Bucks. And one of the reasons they were pushing this was that Jordan wanted to make this draft pick for Milwaukee. But the Bucks weren't going to let him make the draft pick unless this deal was done. And of course, it falls apart a day or so later. I think that Michael Jordan actually, in the long list of bad Michael Jordan draft picks, I, I believe, I had sources in Milwaukee at the time swear to me that they went ahead and drafted the guy that Jordan wanted at eighth, which was TJ Ford out of Texas. And that was clearly not the right guy. Injuries really, really stunted his career, though he wasn't bad uh, before before all of those injuries. Uh, it's funny, though, that him. if you look at the next few guys that go in the real draft, Mike Sweetney, Jarvis Hayes, Pietras, Nick Collison, Marcus Banks, Luke Ridnour, Reese Gaines, Troy Bell, our guy Kabarkapa. Um, it's a disaster. Yeah, TJ Ford, there's a couple years there where... Uh, I don't know. He was something. He just, he took one of the, I was, I, I think I was watching the game when he got hurt just randomly. Uh, he took one of the worst falls in a game I can remember. I think they wheeled him out like a, like a football receiver. Oh, there was stretcher and stuff. And I, he was never the same after that. Oh, they were worried that there was like, maybe even like paralysis. He was going to be paralyzed. Yeah, paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. So who would you take in this spot? I think I'd take Heinrich. It's there's not a a slam dunk choice here, but he plays for Kansas first of all, so that's yeah, that's obviously going to help. You love the Kansas book. guys, right? I love I love all the Kansas guys. He was a gritty defender. He shot 37 and a half percent from three throughout his career, but at this point in the draft, when you look at everybody else below him, that really is a role player. Kirk Heinrich was passable as a starting point guard in the NBA. He had a really nice run there in the mid two thousands and his stat, not only were his stats good, if you go back you're, you know, the, the kind of thing you'd want from your point guard, like the 15 and five, he could make three stuff like that, but he's an excellent defensive defensive player. And I think that's, that's um, maybe what the difference is between him and like the Mo Williams or the Leandro Barbosa where Heinrich could actually guard people. I had uh, in the eight spot, um, I had Josh Howard, so I'm going to take him ninth. So I know, it, I know it flamed out fast. We, we, we're still, it's the 30 for 30 that never happened. But from 06 to 09, he was 18, six and five, made an all-star team. He was the third best guy on a team that made the finals in 06. And in 07, had the best record in the league. He was the prototypical 3 and D guy, great athlete, um, the kind of guy that in 2020, everybody wanted. And he kind of he screwed it up. And his career wasn't as good as it should have been. But for those four Dallas years, last one maybe not as great, but... Um, he was really valuable and they, there weren't a lot of guys like him in 2006. 
it's a, it's a great choice if you're looking at the talent, right? But then if you look at the impact in his career, because his career was cut short, the number of minutes he ultimately ends up playing in the NBA, what have you, then it then it's a little bit more questionable. But right from a talent standpoint, when he was on, he probably deserved to even go a few spots higher than than you drafted him. Yeah. I'll, I'll just take four good years of them and then I'll send them packing. All right. Okay. So that pick was for the New York Knicks, ironically. The number I think 10 this, pick. I think this guy would have been so fun to watch on the Knicks. Leandro Barbosa. I was watching... You want to talk about the the early Giannis you were watching Leandro Barbosa in Brazil. His mixtapes were unreal. It was some of the funnest mixtapes I've ever seen. I had an agent from Brazil sending me these tapes. I was getting them in the mail. That tells you the difference in, in time. And I watched them at ESPN and, and get a circle of people around me when I was watching Barbosa and all of us were cheering, were laughing. I mean, this guy was awesome. And it was also clear that the level of talent he was playing against was like YMCA level talent at times as well. And no idea. And had such a strange game and a weird shot. And it was herky-jerky. No idea. If you would have asked me on draft night, what's Barbosa going to be in the NBA? I didn't have a clue. But I just knew that I loved watching him play basketball. And he did the same thing in workouts. It, it, teams loved him and the high energy thing. And he turned out to be a, a, a really nice six man who could really score the basketball, shot the ball well um, from three throughout his career. And actually definitely overachieved his draft where he was drafted. But I think dramatically exceeded any expectations that anybody in the league really had towards who he was going to be as a basketball player. Yeah, 06 playoffs, second year in the league for the Suns. He's 14 a game in 20 playoff games and 39% from three. His threes kind of came and went as his career went along. I think I remember him as being a better three-point shooter than the stats say, but he definitely was one of those instant offense guys. It's interesting, though. You go back to the draft. He got drafted by the Spurs, 29th. The Spurs thought they had a chance to sign Jason Kidd, remember? Heading into um, July 2003 free agent thing, and that was the whole thing. Are they going to keep Tony Parker, sign Jason Kidd, keep them both, trade Tony Parker? But they're trying to clear cap space for him. So they draft him, and they trade him to Phoenix for a 2005 first-round pick that became David Lee because they don't want his salary on, you know, they, they want as much cap, they don't want his cap hold, any of that stuff. He would have been a really fun. Imagine him on the Spurs with him, Parker, and Ginobili all together. Greg oh Popovich God. would have strangled him to death. He wouldn't have lasted. Yeah, probably. He, he would have physically been dead his first season. The way he played would have, no way with Greg Popovich could he have coached Barbosa. Nash loved him. That was one of, that was another teammate that Nash always like raved about. Like just incredibly skilled guy, heat check guy. Um, super fun. All right. So I'm on the clock at 11. I can't believe he fell this far. Mo Williams from 05 to 11. He was 16 and five, 41% from three, a little ahead of his time. Second best guy on, uh, the 09 Cavs that really could have made the finals. If Orlando is just the worst matchup at the worst time for them. And Hey, you know, had some Clipper stuff and, uh, had a pretty good career. He was, you know, 
never was sure what position he was. He always thought he was a little bit better than maybe he was, but was a guy that definitely wasn't afraid of big moments and things like that. And uh, I don't know. I enjoyed him. I never thought I'd hear the phrase, I can't believe Mo Williams slid this far. Slipped to 11. Yeah. Well, he went 47 in real life. So there you go. All right. We're heading to uh, the end of the, the we're, we're, we're scrapping now. Number number 12, you're up. We are so scrapping right now. I'm like looking at the board like, are you kidding me? Who am I, who am I going to take here? What about James Jones? Wow. He wasn't on, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't one of my guys. Long career. Shot 40% from three. Wow. Through his career. Beloved teammate. Beloved teammate. Guarded multiple positions. Was considered a glue guy throughout his career. And now he's the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. So you want him just, you're looking at 10th men right now. Is there anybody you're, that you think's better than a 10th man right now at 13? That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, he was a career 40% shooter from three. Playoffs. 09 for Miami. Oh, I was only one series. Yeah, he never got a ton of shine. I I had Perkins in this spot. Um, he went 27th in the draft, but was a guy that, you know, he was a center on a team that won the title. He that 0809 2010 run in 2010, he gets hurt six minutes into game six, swings that series. I still think they were gonna win that series if he doesn't get hurt. He just got hurt at the worst possible time. And and you know, at his best was a double-double guy, good defender, tough guy, protected his teammates. I think people tend to remember OKC post-Jeff Green trade where they always had to throw him the ball the first four minutes and he would take a terrible jump hook. And it was always like, why is he out there in crunch time? They should be going smaller. He's slowing them down. But he had a good career and was in a lot of playoff games. So I, I'm happy to get a center at 13th that I can throw out there for 20 minutes a game. I'll platoon him with Boris Dio. <laughs> All right, you're uh, you're on the clock. By the way, in real life, the teams, the teams in the lottery here was Washington was number number ten, Golden State eleven, Seattle twelve, R.I.P. Memphis thirteen, and Seattle fourteen. So you're on the clock now for. Oh, this is the last pick, last pick of the lottery. Can I select Darko Milicic here? Yeah. Upside. I like it. I took Jay Williams in the 2002 draft with the last pick. Same thing. Upside. Maybe, maybe, maybe he does get out of motorcycle in the second time we do this. Upside. No pressure now as the 14th pick in the draft. You know, you look at, you look at Darko's averages and they're, they're poor, but some of it, you have to take out all those Detroit games where he didn't really play, but other than a few minutes, a game. There were some really nice years in Orlando, some decent years in Memphis, where this guy not only had potential, he was a he was a good basketball player. His career obviously never panned out the way that we wanted it to or that I wanted it to. But at 14, and you look at all the other guys on the board, you tell me that you'd rather have Steve Blake or Luke Ridnauer or Matt Bonner or Chris yeah. Kamen. Yeah, we had a Co- Jose Calderon, Luke Walton, Marquis Daniels. I think Pietras, there's a mild case here just because we saw him contributing to a playoff team. But I'm with you. With pick 14, 
Plus, just for the comedy, you got to take them. Maybe, maybe if we roll the dice 10 times with Darko, there's a version where he falls to 14 and it's a fucking awesome pick. So in real life, the, the team would have been uh, the Seattle Supersonics. It would have been with Ray So headline Allen. for this whole redraft is Chad Ford once again selects Darko. Yeah. <laughs> you know how much crap I got from Pistons fans? who somehow think that I'm the reason that the Pistons drafted Darko Milicic number two. That This is the most incredible thing for everybody that thinks that I'm an idiot. That I They also believe that, weirdly, I had the power over Joe Dumars to select this pick on his behalf for, for Detroit. I'm not saying that I wouldn't have taken him too, because I think I would have. But it's really interesting how people come back and blame me for the Pistons screwing up this draft. It's like they were only reading my draft coverage and they didn't have international scouts or they didn't work this guy out or do all this stuff themselves. They did. They loved him. Uh, as much as I have to own the fact that I love Darko and he was number two on my board, I did not draft Darko Milicic on behalf of the Detroit Pistons. So do, you brought up Dubars really quick, really quickly. Um, he was the all-time feast or famine GM move by move. I think that we've ever had. It was either like he's stealing Ben Wallace for the rights to Grant Hill that he's going to lose anyway. He's stealing Chauncey Billups. He hijacks Rasheed Wallace. Uh, you had all moves like that. Tayshawn Prince. And on the flip side, you have Darko. You have Rodney White. The, yeah, the horrific Iverson Billups trade which was just really atrocious and, uh, and they never should have gone near that. And Billups was still a real asset at that point, but it was always like feast or famine with him. And, you know, this is another to me, example the most of it. unfair that he has been sort of boycotted from the league since then with all the guys that have gotten second and third chances, Joe Dumars brilliant, by the way, as just a human being, and and such a, a a great guy, yeah, made some pretty big mistakes in Detroit, but also did a lot of really really good things in, in the league. David Kahn got a job as a general manager after a horrific run in Indiana under Donnie Walsh. Before, how does Joe Dumars not have a general manager job again in the league? Is is beyond me. I wish he came back. I love Feaster Famine GMs because the famine is really part, really fun to get jokes out of. The, <laughs> uh, before we go, really quickly, you're doing, uh, what's your podcast? Chad Ford's Big Board is the podcast? Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Yeah. Um, this draft's atrocious. Is it fair to say worst draft in 20 years? This draft in 2020? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of comparisons to 2013. And that there's no consensus number one guy. People are all over the place and they're reaching already yeah. for players, a lot like 2013, where there were six players that the Cavs were looking at with the number one pick in the draft and, and were actually desperately trying to trade out. And so on, on that level, yeah, this is a very shaky draft if you're talking about tier one, tier two prospects that you're confident with. Now, I think I like LaMelo Ball. I actually think he could be a tier one prospect, but he's a... He's a risky tier one prospect. His best self, yeah, he'll be that. His worst self, he might be a tier three, tier four guy. But I always believe, you know, you look at 2013, that Giannis was in that draft. Rudy was in that draft. There's, there looks like there's some depth in this draft and that there might be a player or two that were just completely slipping or missing right now. 
because there's that lack of a Zion or an Anthony Davis or stars at the top to get excited about. So yeah, if I'm trying to draft my franchise player right now, this is as ugly a draft as we've seen since 2013. But I do think that there's some talented prospects in this draft, starting with LaMelo Ball, who if his last name was not Ball, and if he wasn't associated with all of the crap that the balls are associated with, I think people would be a lot more excited about. Yeah, I mean, but those we've learned over the years, those are some red flags, though. You know what? They are, what, and he's doing his best. He, I, I mean, I'll give the kid credit. He's doing his best to distance himself from that and show a lot of maturity and show that he's handling himself in a different way. And there's there's people that really believe that that's true about him, and there's people that are very, very skeptical right now in the league about him. But just out of curiosity, gifted, man. He's a gifted passer and a gifted ball handler. And there is something special when you watch him play the game the way he plays the game. Just out of curiosity, the Warriors are going to have a top five pick because I don't think the regular season comes back either way. And they're a team that's going to be bringing back Steph and Clay, Draymond, Andrew Wiggins, you know, probably two free agents. Like it, they could get somebody that if they if they play their cards right. And they don't need the upside necessarily of, oh, best case scenario, this guy's a five-time All-NBA guy. They just want probably somebody more who's just like, oh, this guy's good. He fits right in. He knows how to play basketball. He's an adult. Um, he can play multiple positions. He's positionless. He can shoot threes. Is there a guy in the draft like this who would be in that three to seven pick range? Three to six? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I'm not sure that I totally see the guy that steps in and plays minutes for the Warriors this year, even if it's limited minutes. Actually, I think LaMelo Ball is your best case scenario for that. High, high basketball IQ can seize the floor well, can move and play within that free-flowing offense that the Warriors play. And he's played professionally, albeit Australia, but that's at a higher level than college basketball is and, and has a maturity of being pro that the other guys don't, don't have yet. That would be the best argument. I worry hmm. that they might do what Detroit did in the 2003 draft and say, look, we, nobody can really help us right now. So let's roll the dice on a guy with massive, massive upside, but isn't ready like James Wiseman out of Memphis. And we can wait a couple of years on him and I, I think that was the the thinking and rationale for Detroit and him falling into the same sorts of challenges that Darko fell into, and especially with Wiseman, because he really didn't have a season this year for Memphis either, that at that developmental part of your basketball career, going two, three years without playing meaningful basketball minutes, I think is crushing to your basketball development. So even though it makes a I lot agree. of sense in a certain way, I, I hope they don't go that route because it could be Darko 2.0 with a guy like Wiseman. Who's like the Harrison Barnes type guy in this draft? Who is the Harrison Barnes guy? Who's the Jared Culver? The 6'7", he's, he's good. He can make some threes. Probably not making seven all-star teams. Maybe there's not that guy in the top five. <laughs> well, uh, Kevin O'Connor really loves Killian Hayes. Oh, there and, you go. And I actually think Killian Hayes fits that description to a certain extent of what you're talking about there. I I have a hard time watching him right now and seeing him as the number one pick in this draft. But I what see why Kevin number five? likes him. Number five, maybe? Number yeah, number four? five for sure. 
I actually think he's underrated by most boards and Kevin's onto something here. And there's reasons that I, I know that Kevin likes him that I think are defensible and legitimate. We're, we're in for a really rough draft if he is, if he really is the best prospect in this draft, but oh my God. for what you're just, what you're describing, Killian Hayes, I think is that guy. Cool. All right, Chad Ford, we can listen to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Great to have you back doing your thing again. Uh, I, I miss listening to you and, and reading. Are you, you're not doing any writing stuff yet, though, right? Not yet. It's coming. Okay. Okay, good. All right, good luck. Good to see you again. Thanks, Bill. That's it for the 2003 Redraftables. Thanks to Chad Ford. Don't forget about his podcast. I'm not sure if we're going to keep this Redraftables gimmick or not. I don't, I don't feel like the demand... I don't know. I just don't feel like you guys have been fired up enough about it. It's it's in limbo. We might be audibling to some Michael Jordan stuff. Uh, we will see if it comes back next week. Please donate to the ringer.com slash WCK. Maybe you can sway this. Maybe you can change my mind. 04 is looming. Dwight Howard, Emeka Okafor, Josh Smith, whole bunch of fun things in that draft. Uh, boy, it would be a shame if we never do that one. Theringer.com slash WCK. Thanks for listening to the Book of Basketball podcast. And don't forget, uh, on Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast, we will be doing uh, round one of the NFL draft and a whole bunch of other stuff. See you then.